Welcome back to Anonymous Addiction, the programming podcast. You know, I like to say this is going to be part two. We just left. We just we just got off because, you know, uh, Zoom cut you off after a certain time. And that's that's cool. I'm not paying for the upgrade. So we could do a part two, which we're going to do with Daniel. And he's going to talk about his life story, his life experience and how he created his own destiny from, you know, from back then to now and the freedom model. But I just want to give a shout out, you know, don't forget to subscribe because I always appreciate the listeners. You know, I always appreciate all the comments. The comments could be, you know, people say negative, positive. Hey, look, I like all the comments. I don't care. Uh, Everybody's learning and whatever you believe, you believe. I believe in the power of choice, you know, the freedom, uh, the freedom to change and the freedom to uh, do your own thing and do your own research. I want to give a shout out to some of my friends out there because this podcast, you know, this deep programming podcast is like a network. I, 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 I touch base with all of them. I had Zach Rhodes on with the Light Process Program, Stanton Peel. You know, everybody loves Stanton because he's way back then. You know, t- today we're talking about Daniel with the Freedom Model. And I know my buddy over there in Dr. Uh, Unconquered Healing, Renee Pia, the third over there in Florida, my buddy. He's, I think he's been talking with Mark and sharing some things with Mark. And Daniel, you know, he, he came looking for me. He said, hey, Bobby, let's do a podcast. I want to get on the air with you and kind of, you know, talk some things about the freedom model. I said, yeah, no big deal. Give a shout out to Indoctrination No More over there. Uh, Ash, hello, Ash. Monica Richardson, everybody really, you know, is into her uh, stuff way back then with the 13th step and her safe blog radio Give a shout out to Ann, Andy Scarantino. I did a podcast with her. She's got this, she got these cool things on Instagram and Facebook. You know, get the fuck off. Get in other words, she's saying, get off your ass and do something, make some changes. You know. So we're 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 to, this is a this is a bunch of things that we're 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 not against anything. We're for freedom. You know, that's what we're for. We're for information. And we're, we're thinking, questioning, rational, logical, free thinkers. Okay, so this is what this podcast is all about. Part two, Daniel left off and kind of given us, you know, a summary of, of how to get connected with the freedom model. Let's go, let's go back into to where you left off at and maybe continue a little bit more about how you came out. You know, you, you kind of felt you were kind of indoctrinated and you kind of came out and the, the light switch went on and you became aware and, and things are changing. Things have been changing. I think since uh, 2016, you know, 2017, things been changing. You've been evolving. I believe in, you know, we evolve. So continue there where we left off, Daniel. Okay. Well, yeah. Um, like I said, I was in college. I started going to college at the end of 2015. And that's when I got a, a taste of Stanton Peel's stuff um through one of my teachers um but she never mentioned his name you know the only time i heard stanton's name in college was um through i, I don't know how he called they call it in english in french it's called le sigle de la suitude where he explains the cycle of quote-unquote addiction um you know and how some people move out of that cycle and others don't um so that's the only time i heard his name but those questions really resonated with me and just looking at a bunch of stuff on YouTube, reading a bunch of books and so on and so forth, you know, I, I landed on Stanton's stuff. And so I bought his book at the time. Um, his latest book was called Recover. 
and it's like uh, a Buddhist psychology um, orientated. And uh, I really liked it. Um, I, at the time I, I was still very, very indoctrinated. So, you know, I thought that his digs uh, against AA were just unwarranted. I'm like, dude, like just, you're kind of like making your book bad by talking about AA in a negative light. Um, today, I kind of, I have a much different perspective on that. But back then, I just thought that he was, quote unquote, bashing AA needlessly. So let me just, let me just step in and say, you know what, that, that shows us that we're all, you know, even myself, we were, we were, we were deprogramming ourselves all along with new information and new research. You mentioned uh, Stanton gave an explanation and the definition of his definition of addiction. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, basically it's um, the, the, and this is pretty much to what I would look at. Uh, you know, if you were to ask me, um, do you believe in addiction? Well, my answer is yes and no, because uh, Stanton's way of looking at it is that, you know, you develop an unhealthy relationship with something or someone, you know, um, that basically uh, shrinks down, you know, your, your world around you, you know, where your focus just, you start focusing in more and more on that one thing to the detriment of everything else. Now, do, is that a psychological process that people go through? Well, yeah, a lot of people go through that. Um, you know, and he talks about it in his book, Love and Addiction. That's his first book that came out, I believe, in 1975. And this is back, you know, when people thought that cocaine wasn't addictive, right? They're like, oh, you know, the, you can't get addicted to cocaine because you can't become physically dependent on cocaine. You know, the idea that you could have a love addiction, that that was just purely insane. You know, no one believed that stuff. So he was, it, it was a breakthrough that he would, he pretty much like demonstrated um, that these types of behaviors occur in, you know, in most people's life at some point or another, and that most people move on from their, that behavior, whatever it is. Um, so in that sense, uh, yeah, I totally agree. Now, if you were to ask me if there's some sort of magical force or something inside someone that prevents them from being able to stop and that they have this compulsive thing, kind of like um, when you take a hammer and you hit it on the knee at the doctors and, and your leg spasms, like, no, no, there's no evidence whatsoever for that. Um, and that's, that's what they talk about when we're, when in, in 12 step cults, right? Like in all the fellowships, that's what they're talking about. They're talking about loss of control. Um, but the evidence doesn't bear that out. There's no scientific evidence to demonstrate that there is such a thing as loss of physical control. Um, in fact, the evidence points in the other direction, you know, and um, in the freedom model in Appendix A, there's an explanation of two different types of social of loss of control that is very useful to understand. And the first one is that whole idea that you lose physical control. Like if you're in your car and you're driving around and, you know, you hit a patch of ice and, you know, you have no control over where the car is going to go. And the other one is lo loss of social control. And so the example used is the kid that's not getting what they want at the grocery store. So they start having a fit, you know, and they're screaming and yelling and rolling all over the floor. And it's like, yeah, you call that loss of control, but the kid has full function, uh, you know, of, of their body. There's, they're, they could st stop themselves if they wanted to, but you know, basically they're in a loss of social control. They're not doing what they quote unquote should be doing. And so on that level, people, 
uh, when we're talking about substances, yeah, there is that. And there's also the belief uh, in loss of control in the sense that you can feel out of control. You know, if you're very ambivalent about your substance use, you know, and I think I used the really good example when I was talking about my smoking, you know, that I spent basically half, half of the, my smoking time uh, out of those 15 years or so, um, half of them, you know, I really wanted to stop, but I really didn't want to stop at the same time. I was very ambivalent about it. You know, I had really good reasons to continue smoking and I had really good reasons to continue. Um, so it, it, when, when you're in that position, especially if the reasons for the continuing of that behavior are not clear to the person, it's very easy to believe, um, you know, well, shit, I, I don't have any control over this, you know, because I really want to stop. And it's not a lack of honesty with oneself. It's just you're not seeing things clearly, you know. And uh, in fact, we had someone in the discussion last week in the in the group that was talking about that. It said, oh, you know, like, I know that it's a choice and I have no reason to smoke marijuana, but I smoke marijuana every day. Well, you know, if you're smoking marijuana every day, it's doing something that you're you're OK with that you want, you know, because if you didn't want anything out of it, if it wasn't giving you any benefit whatsoever, you would simply not do it. You know, that's that's reality. But the fact that it's not clear, um, that can be that can be a big one. You know, a lot of people are not clear about their motivations behind a lot of their behaviors. So, yeah, hopefully that kind of clears it up when I'm when we're talking about addiction. Like I said, um, I like comparing it with hypnosis. You know, hypnosis is is complete garbage. It's not true. Um, but at the same time, it's the most powerful force in the universe, you know. Um, there's, there's this paradox with it and where, you know, you can do wonderful things with hypnosis, but one thing you cannot do is force people to do something that they really don't want to do, you know, and that's pretty similar to addiction, you know, uh, this idea that it doesn't exist, but at the same time, it's this super powerful force, you know, people can feel hopeless. They can feel driven to do things, um, you know, that make no sense on some level to them. That's absolutely true. But if they really don't want to get loaded, they're not going to do it, you know. Um, and that's even even in, even in the even in the rooms, they pretty much like um, come to that realization. You know, I have a beautiful little pin here, and I got this from the rooms. I'm I'm going to keep this for the rest of my life. I don't know how well people can see this, um, but it basically says "drug free, our choice." So um, they're admitting by the pin that you have to like choose um, to either continue using or not continue using, you know? Yeah, yeah, well, Alcoholics Anonymous says that. There's two things in Alcoholics Anonymous that I have to agree with because look, a desire means I want it, a wanting. Look it up in a dictionary. Desire means a wanting something, a craving something. Okay, so the only requirement for membership is a desire. And they know that desire has to come from you. Okay, so they know that. So they get you in. Okay, the only requirement. Oh, you have the only requirement. Okay, a desire. It came from me. I chose it. I come in. The other thing is that that came from you. Then they take that away from you and say, here, you have to do these things because you have no choice. Uh, you're insane. You can't think on your own. But the only requirement is a desire it comes from you. There's another thing. It works if you work it. Of course yeah. it works if you work it. it. Anything works. I hate to say it, but 
This will work if you work it too, and so will any other thing because it always comes from you, okay? So it works if you work it. If you believe it's gonna work, just like the placebo effect, if you believe it, whatever you believe will work. And you'll give credit to that thing, but it's not the thing. It is me, it is us, it is you that does, does this thing. When I said yes to help, it was me, Bobby C. I said yes to help. I got help. My wife said, hey, this friend, uh, you want him to come over? He's going to talk to you. I said, yes. I said yes, because I had a desire to have some type of change because I knew my wife was going to probably leave, you know, and uh, I was fearful. So fear stepped in, but this, this good fear, not the fear that was imposed on me on Alcoholics Anonymous, fear of uh, fear, shame, and guilt. It was a good fear. You know, I was going to lose maybe my wife and, you know, I didn't want that to happen. I didn't want my whole family to kind of get disrupted. So I said yes to help. And I was, look, they say bottom, but I don't believe I was just, it was, I wanted, I wanted something different. I, it wasn't desirable because what was more desirable to me was my family. Okay. Yeah. So I did. So I said, yeah, I didn't know what was going to happen after that, but I had the desire and yes, did I work it? Well, I worked, I actually, the weird part about it is even from the beginning, I can look back and say, I was working the program. It was my program. I was the one that was choosing what to do and what not to do. It was me. But was I being brainwashed? And was I suggested, like you said, hypnosis? It's AA is like a hypnosis. It's a constant suggestion, constant repetition, repeating. And repetition is the mother of skill. And it's also the mother of brainwashing. Okay. So repetition over and over and over. Fear, guilt, and shame sets in. And I have cognitive dissonance, ambivalence. And, you know, sooner or later, they hook you. They get you with the hook and they hook you. But all along, I felt like I was deprogramming. All along. And throughout all these years, because I spent many, 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 many years in Alcoholics Anonymous, I felt like I was doing a service to others by actually helping deprogram a little bit, deprogramming them, because I was, I was going outside the triangle, I was going outside the box, I was going outside AA and getting other information, even though we didn't have the internet back then, but we did have some holistic studies you know, I studied at Southwest Institute of Healing Arts. So I was, I was being, I was checking other things out. But meditation groups, I was doing one-on-one -on -one therapy. They were giving me different information. I was joining groups, uh, therapy groups. So I was getting some cognitive, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, some CBT. And I didn't even know it back then, but I was. So I was evolving. And I thought I was going to help change AA from the inside. You know, I really thought that I was going to help people change out of AA because I, I used to, I was an old time. That's what they want to call me. I'd rather call myself a bleeding deacon, tell you the truth. I'd rather be a bleeding deacon because that's what I was in a sense that I was I had courage enough to, to go against the stream and against these other old timers that even, you know, I had more time than them. But these old timers that would constantly quote the book, constantly never change, constantly tell newcomers. Uh, I don't even like to use the word newcomer, but people coming in new, all this indoctrination, all this brainwashing stuff. And I tried to say stuff different in a different way, you know, but I'll tell you what, at the end and not even at the end, 
for many years, I, I felt lonely in a program. I felt lonely in this program. And not only that, I felt like an outcast going in. You know, I was a hypocrite. I was, I was, I was like a hypocrite to my own thinking. So I finally, finally left, had enough courage to just leave. Eventually I slowed. I didn't go to many meetings. You know, I didn't go to many meetings. And, I, and during the whole time, I found out that here's the weird part about it. I used to go on vacation in the beginning with little time and I didn't drink. You know, I didn't ha I didn't even have a sponsor at one point and I didn't drink. I didn't do the it, I didn't go to a, a step meeting for a year. I didn't drink. So I'm doing all this research on my own and saying, well, I, I that's where that cognitive dissonance come in. You know, they say, no, 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 you're going to drink again. You're going to land up in jail or institution or die. And I'm finding out that I didn't, you know, I, it was like, Bobby, you better keep on doing these things. You better keep on doing them. If you don't, you're going to be in trouble. Right? You may lose your family again. But I'm glad I got out. And I mentioned, Jack, you know, Zach Rhodes. I think he wrote, wrote a book, Outgrowing Addiction. Give him a little shout yeah. out. Uh, Zach's a real cool guy. He's really into a family, his family. And he, he's, he's friends on Facebook. So I'm friends on Facebook with a lot of, a lot of these people. But today, I'm so glad I, I, I meet people like Daniel. And he shares with me on the outside because the conversations we have on the outside, we have so much in common so we could talk. There's a lot of a lot of my groups that I belong to. I belong to probably 50 different groups. They're all kinds of different groups, you know, but I have a bunch of XA, ex alcoholics Anonymous uh, people that used to go. And there's all different types of groups that I have. And me and Daniel even have a bunch of other things in common that we won't share in this program, but, but which is, which is good. What else you got to share, Daniel? Tell us some more about um, what your thoughts are as far as addiction. I, I do believe I'm going to push back on this a little bit. Mm -hmm. and I, I'm not going to have to, I'm not going to try to defend myself. Okay. Because I don't feel like I have to. I, st I, I do believe just like certain things have power. I believe alcohol does have some power. And the reason why I say that is because I don't believe it's like, I'm, I'm not powerless over alcohol, okay? I have power, okay? But I believe alcohol in a sense, that, that word power, a lot of people don't like it. We could use other words. Does it have an influence on my body, my, my mind, and my, uh, you know, my, my whole body, what I do, you know? my coordination, my balance. Even, even I think that if I drank a pint of whiskey right in front of you, or if I drank a half a pint of whiskey, the power that I'm saying that it has is that it's going to do something to me. Okay. Mm -hmm. that, so that's the only power I'm giving. It's going to do something to me. Okay. No matter how I try to think it's not, it will. Okay. And that's, that's the power I believe that it has. And so for me, it has, uh, it has more power than that. It has a lot of power to destroy uh, a lot of functions in the body. You know, uh, it is a toxic, it is a carcinogen. And I believe it's the most dangerous and the most sought out drug in the world. That's what I think, you know, because I'm not going to dismiss that. And I'm not, I'm not going to minimize that either because the consequences of it in the world is obvious. I see it. I see it close to me. It's like right there in my family, close to me. Okay, so I see the devastation it has on people and the world. 
And if I don't like to say anti, but am I anti-alcohol pharmaceutical industry? Am I anti-tobacco? Am I anti-whatever? If it's not substance, it could be process addiction. Am I anti that? You want to call me that? Am I a prohibitionist? No, I'm not because I believe in the power of choice. I believe everybody has the choice to do what they want to do. But I believe in cause and effect. I do believe in cause and effect. I believe the causality and effect. And I believe the cons it has consequences, certain things that we do. I, I think even the cause is me being on a podcast, the effect that maybe somebody could learn something or maybe, maybe somebody dismisses what I say, but it has a, a cause and effect. And the consequences could be, uh, it could be a long legacy. This could be a legacy, you know, us doing this. Our, our grandkids, our children and grandkids can listen to this and maybe learn something different from it. So I believe it's all evolving. I believe that the rehabs, I don't know if you agree, but the rehabs are changing a little bit, okay? They're, they're not there. <laughs> they're, they're, they're not there at all, okay? But they're changing a little bit and they're given another choice. And, you know, we don't talk about smart, smart recovery because, look, the, the thing I like about smart is that it doesn't believe in a disease concept. It doesn't like labels. So there's a lot I like about it. But then again, I believe it's a kind of like it's, it's meetings. And I believe uh, smart has an exit strategy. They don't believe in staying in for life. That's another thing with Alcoholics Anonymous. You got to work them steps, them traditions and them concepts recruit others for life. You got to give your will and your life over to the care of God or Alcoholics Anonymous for life. That don't, that don't seem very attractive. What do you think about that, Daniel? Yeah, well, there's, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I think when, when we're talking about the effects of alcohol, um, you know, our, the position here at the Freedom Model, I think is misunderstood oftentimes, right? So, I would not say that alcohol doesn't affect you. Um, you know, like if people, if you were, like you said, if you were to drink a pint um, right now, you know, that's pretty much the case for everyone, you know, a hundred times out of a hundred, that's going to mess up someone's motor functions. Um, that's also going to put them in a quote unquote state, you know, again, coming back to hypnosis, you know, if you put someone in a trance, um, that's going to put them in a certain mental state that they associate with a number of things. Right. And so that will affect um, the way they act, but not in the sense that the alcohol is making them do that. That's, you know, when we, when we have that chapter on learned connections, that's really where we hone in on this idea. Right. So for example, if every time I like, I have someone close to me that when they drink, if I bring up a specific topic and when they're drinking, like they're going to get belligerent. Right. And that's pretty much like every single time. Um, but they will go off about other stuff with other people, but they won't go off when it comes to me. Right. Um, so what we're basically saying is that there's a lot of con there, context is what really matters. You know, within a specific context, if you ingest a substance, well, you know, you're going to, you're going to act a certain way, but that's really because of the context that you're in. It's not because there's something in the drug that's making you do it. Right. So that's, that's really that, that part that's um, subtle, but important to understand. You know, if you take um, in, in the book, they, they talk about uh, putting a match, uh, you know, putting a match to, to gas, 
right? A hundred times out of a hundred, it's going to combust, right? But you do, you do not, you're not going to have that when it comes to the way someone thinks, right? You, you can't take a substance and automatically it's going to make you think a certain way, or it's going to put you in, in a, it's going to make you do certain things. You know, that's really going to be based on your own belief system. What, what you, what you think is okay. Um, and what you think that the substance can do for you. However, it will have that effect on your physiology, right? It, I don't care if you don't believe in, in addiction or alcoholism or any of that stuff. If you put that alcohol in your body, you're not going to be able to walk a straight line, right? That's a physical reality. So there's, and there's no denying that someone who would deny that that's, that's straight up insane. That makes no sense whatsoever. So sometimes there's that understanding that that's what we're saying, but that's not at all uh, what's being said. You know, what's being said is that, uh, you know, it, it'll put you, it'll, it, it'll do something to your body and what you associate with that physical sensation that it gives you to your body, right? That association is what's going to drive your behavior, right? No, it, I, it, I appreciate, I appreciate you sharing that. Uh, I, all I'm, all I want to give to the viewer is, Everyone's entitled to research their own. Me personally, I don't endorse certain models, methods, treatments. I don't endorse them. I'll allow people to come on and voice their opinions and ideas and share their books. I don't endorse. I check it out. Check everybody out. Everybody mm -hmm. check their own stuff out. You know, uh, I don't. Uh, I don't endorse or I don't promote uh, different types of methods, modalities, or programs. Choose them. But I still, me personally, I just, you know, I push back on a few things. I push back on a, a couple of things. I don't want to continue pushing back because that, you know, yeah, there's, I, there's, there's too much, there's too many good things in here, but I fully disabuse, I disbelieve in a lot of, not a lot, but some of it. And I'm going to continue to do that because that's my right to do that. And I don't, I don't really appreciate people like not from you or people saying like alcoholics anonymous will say oh you're probably not an alcoholic if you believe that uh you, you know you're probably not a real alcoholic and well i wouldn't appreciate like uh mark or, or michelle or even steven or anybody saying well bobby you still believe in the disease concept if you think like that you know i don't i don't you know i don't i don't appreciate that either from alcoholics anonymous or from anybody and i'm not saying you do that or they do that but I have the right to believe and and um, choose to believe that I still believe alcohol affects our thinking. That's that's mm -hmm. all I have to say, and we don't have to say much anymore on it. But uh, yeah, no, there's no there's no point arguing about it. Um, uh, you know, it's it is what it is. Um, yeah, but overall, uh, I am the conversations that we have, we, we agree 99 point, you know, we agree on so much that for this little, uh, segment, uh, we were allowed to disagree. We're allowed to agree yeah. to disagree. I mean, that's, that's what life is all about. And it should be, I think, I think everybody yeah. should question, uh, everything because I believe eventually, eventually, you know, I believe like in 90 days or a, a year to go seek out some help. You know, that's what we're doing when we go to the freedom model. Uh, Mark and yourself aren't telling everybody, oh, stay in for years. OK, continue to come back to the program. They're not saying that. OK, uh, either am I. Uh, so I believe that we could get it. 
and it takes a while to get it sometimes. So we're mm -hmm. pointers to the way. But I believe that yeah. after a while, after after a year or two or three, it's like, why would you go to therapy for five, six years and say the same thing over and over again? And 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 given the money to therapists for years and years and years and not moving on. That's like AA. That's like going to AA. You're, you're giving your time and you're giving your money. And when you give your time and when you give your energy and attention and care, that's freedom that you're doing away with. That's, that's, that's all the freedom that you're doing away with when you're given that care, that will, life and care over. So I believe that eventually we become our own advocates. You know, I believe eventually we become our own gurus, the only way we come become the way people don't like to use the word cure, but, you know, I mean, we could take it or leave it, but we could become our own cure for whatever it is. Oh, wow. Look at that. We got 10 minutes left. <laughs> it just came right. up. It just came up again. But uh, right. Daniel, cl close with some more goodies. OK, well, yeah, um, you know, uh, the subtitle of the book is Escape the Treatment and Recovery Trap. And I think that's that's an important concept to understand because, um, you know, it's the whole idea is not like, OK, we're recovered or we're cured or any of that stuff. It's really like, OK, what do I need um, to change in my mindset in order to move on with my life? You know, and, you know, you were talking about um, certain, you know, that alcohol or whatever drug will have a certain effect on the person. There is a caveat at the very beginning where we say, well, if you if you believe certain things, you know, like abstinence is absolutely the way to go. And that's also something important to understand because, um, you know, we, do, we don't advocate moderation. We don't advocate uh, abstinence. What we advocate is finding whatever's gonna work for you as a person, you know, at the end of, at the, end of the day, success is I'm happy with the results I'm getting in my life. Right. If you're happy with the direction your life is going, you're having a successful life. You know, if you're not happy with the direction your life is going in, you know, I it doesn't really matter whether you're drinking or not, whether you're using or not. You know, that's not going to change anything. Um, I saw a lot of guys in the rooms who had a lot of time um, who ended up killing themselves because like to them, going back to doing drugs was just not a solution. But at the same time. Um, you know, they felt hopeless. They felt like there was no way out of their problems. And so they ended up taking their own lives. Um, it's quite unfortunate, but it's, you know, it is what it is. And I think, I, I, I don't think Monica really focused in on that when, in, in her documentary, The 13th Step, it was mostly like on predators and stuff like that, um, which I did see a lot of. I personally thought that documentary was somewhat tame. Um, compared to a lot of stuff that I actually saw in the rooms through the behaviors of others. Um, but I know that she got a lot of pushback for it um, by, by, you know, hardcore steppers who are like, oh, no, that's not true, blah, blah, blah. It's like, why are you in that much denial that you can't see what's going on? Um, so, yeah, you know, I think, I think if there are certain beliefs about substances that are there, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. Um, but it's important also to acknowledge that that will put us um, on a certain limit on some levels, right? So I would never tell someone who, like, you know, if you were to ask me, well, you know, do you think I could drink moderately? I would say, well, you know, based on those ideas, I think it's a really terrible idea. 
you know, it's, it's that straightforward. I think it's a terrible idea um, because as soon as someone believes that there's a magical line that they can cross, that it's not going to end well for them. Well, they could always slip past that line and then, well, guess what? It's not going to end well for them. Um, I think a lot of people do not, um, you know, they think, well, you know, now I know I'm not powerless, so I'm good. No, a lot of people land in a lot of problems in life, even though they don't believe in this powerless stuff. You know, I never believed I was powerless when I was doing drugs. You know, if you asked me, I was like, man, I could stop any way, anytime I wanted to. And it was true. I could, but I had no desire whatsoever to stop. That's right. You know, yeah. and that's because, you know, I, what I thought I was getting from the drugs was just worth it for me. Right. Um, you know, and that, and that's, again, that's something I've seen um, from people who had a lot of time who just walked away from the 12 step groups and were like, screw that it's garbage but they left with a lot of beliefs um, and they ended up having a lot of problems, you know, and some of them scampered back to the rooms and said, Oh, you guys were right. And some of them withered away and some of them kind of snapped out of it and moved on. Right. Yeah. I so, keep on looking up at the time still. Okay. Five minutes. So yeah. we got to talk. We got to try to, we're going to try to exit this like pretty smoothly, but I believe escaping the treatment and recovery trap. I believe at a hundred percent, escaping that multi-trillion dollar industry i mean it's constant non-stop i mean it's like it's like you you were example of it oh let me let me get become a counselor okay let me you know let me go into aa have uh two weeks in three weeks in and i'm going to change the world i'm going to become a counselor and then i'm going to be you know who hires you all the treatment centers hire all these halfway houses i just uh hooked up with these uh, person over here they're halfway houses today. They're, they're sober living houses today are just rentals. That's all they are. They don't even do meetings anymore over these ones that I just checked out. They have four yeah. of them. They don't even do meetings or nothing over there. All they're doing is renting a spot for them. Uh, okay. Uh, this recovery industry trap is all over the place. And a lot of people, a lot of people are in it, but say they're not. And it's still part of the trap. So you got to be careful, ladies and gentlemen. Don't forget to subscribe to Anonymous Addiction Deprogramming Podcast. Check us out on YouTube. Anonymous Addiction, my truth about AA as Bobby C sees it. We got four minutes left. Let's see if we can exit this really smooth here. So we're, we're all about getting away from that uh, addiction recovery trap. And, you know, I mentioned a bunch of people that we're following, and, you know, we're non 12 step and uh, kind of left AA. And we're, we're rethinking this whole addiction thing. I don't even like the word moderation and abstinence anymore. I'm like debunking all these words and all these things. Moderate. If you really look up the definition of abstinence, it says moderation in it too. You know, if you look up the definition, I don't even like the words. Okay. Choose what you want to choose. You want to be able to have a drink or two. Look, my wife, she can have a drink. She, I don't think, I don't remember when the last time she ever had two. She, she might have one, one week, maybe two, one, one day and the next, maybe not a month, whatever. She's not even trying to plan that. She's, she don't consider herself, oh, I'm a moderate drinker, you know, and abstinence, completely abstinence. As soon as you say abstinence, people are going to say, well, you know, that's a 12 step kind of model. But I believe just in my lifestyle, I believe in doing certain things, not doing certain things. And you want to call them abstinence? Go ahead. We got three minutes. We're gonna we're gonna exit this really smooth. Yeah, let's not get cut off like uh, like the last one. 
Yeah, let's not get cut off. But I'm so glad we got to do a part two on this, kind of clear some things up. You got three yeah. minutes, so follow us okay. out with three minutes and just make sure you've got a minute left so we could exit this thing. Okay, well, um, you know, we're, when we're talking about the recovery trap, and this is unrelated to the Freedom Model, but there are two things, um, two videos that I would highly recommend um, that your viewers watch. One of them is called The Business of Recovery. And it's a great little documentary. It did not go mainstream, but it's a great documentary on, you know, what's going on in, in the whole um, rehab model and how messed up and nightmarish it is. And there's another one that's, that's a mainstream movie. It's called Body Brokers. Body Brokers, yeah. Yeah. And that, that was, that, that's a really, really good movie. It points out, you know, the insanity within um, that system. So, yeah, for for any one of the, the viewers that wants to um, either resolve their issue or um, move on from 12 step fellowship, um, you can visit online.thefreedommodel.org. And that's where um, our online program is um, is set up. And of course, like I said in the last podcast, you know, they can go to thefreedommodel.org and get the book for free just um put in freedom 100 at checkout and uh, it'll be free and of course you can reach out to me if you want to go through um the online coaching and that's the one-on-ones where we really basically go through the entire curriculum it it's anywhere between four to six weeks to go through it um you know you have homework we have a workbook we and we really hone down to make sure that every single concept is really really cemented in um, to be able to move on to the next one or else, um, you know, s sometimes some people might not necessarily get it all. And, you know, from what I've seen, people don't necessarily have to understand all of it in order to move on. Um, that that's reality as well, you know, um, and, but, and that's okay, you know, but if for whatever reason, the person feels like they need um, that extra nudge. All right. So last minute. So yeah, just give me a shout out um, outside of that. Thank you so much for having me on. It was a pleasure. And uh, yeah. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks, Daniel. I'm going to say hi to Michelle Dunbar over there. Mark, uh, Mark Sheeran. Uh, Steven Slater's over there. I think in New York, he's doing some, you know, new things. And uh, thank you, Daniel and Matthew with the Freedom Model. So check it out, everybody. And don't forget to subscribe, please. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Peace out.